right, we've been focused on Jesus. Jesus is Lord. And uh, we're going to continue the focus on him as we talk about the second of the cardinal virtues. Last week, I talked about prudence. This week, I'm talking about courage. Next week, on Super Bowl Sunday, I want to talk about justice. And guess what? On Mardi Gras Sunday, I want to talk about temperance or self-control. I had a reporter ask me, he said, what do you say about Mardi Gras? Well, what I say is, you don't get a pass. There is no free pass. We are required with every breath we take and every word we speak and every deed we do to honor the Lord Jesus who bought us, whether it is Mardi Gras or any other day. And we are not ever to embarrass him or bring shame to his name, no matter what the context. So there's no free pass for anybody in this room or anybody under the Lordship of Jesus Christ in regard to behavior at Mardi Gras. I'm in Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to pull the outline for courage right out of this text. So I want you to remember the text. You need to know this scripture, these words. The writer of Hebrews has hit a high note in Chapter 11, as he is given the roll call of faith, and he rolls right into chapter 12 with this tremendous challenge to every believer. Courage was needed in the first century among the followers of Jesus. We're going to see some of the trouble and sorrow and persecution these folks who received this letter first endured for the sake of the gospel. And when the writer of Hebrews penned this text to them. He wanted to encourage and lift them and strengthen them just like we need encouraged and lifted and strengthened. So I'm praying for the one who feels weak, the one who feels faint. Plato said that among the four virtues, the one most needed in the warrior class is courage. C.S. Lewis, when he talked about the law of God that permeates everything and touches the psyche and soul of every human being on earth, when he talked about the sense of I ought to do this or that, that is embedded in every human being regardless of their upbringing or culture or language or geography. Every human being develops a sense that I ought to behave in a certain way. He describes this as God's imprint upon the human soul. And he, he used courage as an illustration of a virtue that is universally admired in the human family, no matter where you come from. All cultures admire and extol the courageous and honor the brave. And do not extol and honor the coward, the man who turns tail and runs. So here we deal with courage, a virtue that, that surfaces in every culture, every time, every place, every human heart. Lord, give me the strength, we pray. With Psalm 27, we focus on the Lord and he will be our strength. Having given the roll call of faith, 
The writer of Hebrews in verse 1 of chapter 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. All right. Immersing every one of these virtues completely into the New Testament text and the Lordship of Christ. Courage stays focused. You feel your knees wobbling? Are you on the edge of giving up? Courage stays focused. Our focus is to be on Jesus. Do you see what the author does here? We've got this great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. These are people who through the generations have paid many of them the ultimate price to follow Jesus as Savior in their time. They were martyred for the gospel. He chronicles this in chapter 11. He talks about those who died at the, in, in the arena and sawn asunder and t- torn away from their families. He talks about the great courage of these folks. And he says, seeing we have this great cloud of witnesses all around us, let's lay aside the weight. Let's lay aside the sin that entangles us. Let's run with endurance the race that is set before us. How, Lord? How, Lord? Look into Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. When your knees wobble, when your resolve is dissipating, you turn your eyes to Jesus. You fix your eyes on Jesus. That's the mistake we make. We think it's up to us. It's our strength and nothing else. We think that we'll find it in a determined will, in our own resources. But the author of Hebrews says, wrong place. For every follower of Jesus, for everybody who calls Jesus Lord, when you get in the battle, when you're in need of courage, you fix your eyes on Jesus. Focus on Him. You live with Christ in mind. This is where your eyes go. This is where everybody in the room needs this now. Just like everybody who received this first letter needs this. It is Jesus who is the focus, and he is our strength. Now, Jesus lived 33 years, and he lived a perfect life, and he did things so marvelously well. We looked at Prudence last week, and we looked at his baptism. And his exchange with John the Baptist. 
And Jesus did things so well there that the Father proclaimed from heaven, this is my Son whom I love. I'm pleased with Him. So many places in the life of the Lord Jesus where you can look and gain strength. But there's one place. There's one place that surpasses all others. Fix your eyes on Jesus and watch Him as He dies. You lack courage. You need strength. You need your resolve renewed. You feel like you're about to throw in the towel. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Stop thinking about all that other stuff that you're afraid of. Stop fixing your eyes on your fears. Fix your eyes on Jesus. How? Where do I see him? You see him on the cross. Fix your eyes on Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And so theologians down through these 2,000 years, when they have unpacked the gospel and what it means to be a Christian, they have gone to the cross. They have fixed their eyes on the cross in their own thinking. And the cross has become the center not only of the emotions and spiritual life of the church, but of its thinking, its mind, and its heart. Here at the cross, we learn what courage is. Here at the cross, we learn that courage is the ability to choose the hard way when it is the right way. Here at the cross, we learn that courage is a pledge sealed in blood. Here at the cross, we learn that Jesus was willing to hold the Father's will to the dying point, even if it killed him. To this extent, to this great extent, Jesus followed the Father's will. And so you, dear pilgrim on the planet now, seeking to follow the Father's will, in your own circumstance, in your particular place, with the relationships around you and the unique nature of your situation, fix your eyes on Jesus now. He begins and perfects your faith and watch him as he dies and say, Lord, this, this, this courage, this strength, this fortitude, this endurance, put it in me. Let me walk as he walked. Courage stays focused, and courage keeps the prize in mind. It was for what? The joy that was set before him that Jesus courageously endured the cross. So courage is not a virtue in a vacuum. It's a virtue that includes prudence and justice and temperance. There are a bundle of virtues here. And if you cut the cord between them, they fall like sticks on the ground. Courage is not you acting rashly without information and sacrificing your life foolishly in a circumstance you do not understand. That's not courage. Courage may act in an instant, in a moment of time, 
It prepares the person's character so they are ready to act in a moment if need be. But courage does not recklessly plunge in without understanding the situation or knowing the facts. Courage is not folly or foolishness. Courage keeps the prize in mind. See, there is a perspective to the courage of Jesus as he dies upon the cross. He's not simply laying down his life for no reason. He is laying down his life because he knows something. He knows there's a benefit in the future. There's a wonderful church to gather. There's a joy that's going to come from his sacrifice for the joy that was set before him, for the joy of pleasing his Father and knowing this to be completely to the very depths of his bones, the will of God, he died on that cross. And your courage, too, must have the perspective of future. You must be able to look forward and see that the sacrifice today is the benefit tomorrow and understand the situation enough to realize that to go into this difficult situation is right because you will reap the benefit of the joy later. You're going to need the sense of the prize as you live courageously for the Savior on this planet. There are moments when you're going to say to yourself, I don't know if it's worth it. You're going to ask the question of worth about living the Christian life, about being faithful to the truths that Christ has taught you. You're going to ask, I don't know if it's worth it. Is it really worth it? The cost that I am exacting from my relationships, the scorn that I am receiving, Maybe the financial price I am paying for being faithful to the gospel and faithful to my Lord. Is it worth it? I don't know if it's worth it. Humans ask that all the time. I don't know if it's worth it. And what they're saying is, I'm looking down the road and I'm not sure that what I'm giving up now is worth what I'm going to get later. Jesus had this crystal clear in his mind. He came from the throne room of glory. He came to this planet having lived in the center of the universe. He knew the truth about the future and being in the Father's house. And he hoped that when he talked to us about the Father's house and the prize that was laid out for the future for us, that we would receive it as truth like he knew it to be. We sang, I go to prepare a place for you we sang that this morning. It's right out of John 14. It's Jesus talking to his disciples who are going to give their lives, some of them, and their property, many of them. They're going to die violent deaths, some of them. Why? I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I want you to remember what I prepared for you. If we could turn this into a jet plane and go see God's trophy room in glory for 10 minutes, just tour the trophy room. See what lies ahead for the man who says, if it takes all the hide, I'm staying true. I'm not turning back. 
I'm not sliding back. I'm going to be faithful to the Lord who bought me with his blood just to see what actually is there. We'd come back from such a tour ready to give our lives without question to the Christ who loved us enough to die on the cross. So the author of Hebrews says, look, are you getting weak? Fix your eyes on Jesus. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Now, that's the third thing I want you to know. Courage endures. Courage is not just a moment in time where you do something that is brave and sacrifice yourself. Courage is not simply the flash in the pan. Courage is more usually that quality of your character that keeps you walking in the Savior's way through days and weeks and months and years of sometimes fierce opposition and difficulty and suffering. Courage endures. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. It wasn't fun. It wasn't nice. It was horrible. Torture and pain. But he endured it. When you read the book of Hebrews and you get to the end, you're thinking in your mind, okay, he talks about faith. He has the roll call of faith. By faith. Abel offered unto God a better sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Abraham left Ur the Chaldees and went searching for a city. He was looking for the city that hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, they did these things. And by the end of the book of Hebrews, you're, you're, you're seeing how close faith is to endurance. How close they are to one another. How that people of God achieve the goal through patience and endurance. That's what he says in his book. And the word patience there is the word to remain under. Patience is you remaining under. There are two Greek words for patience. Both of them are used in the book of Hebrews. One of them is long-suffering, macrothumia, long-staying in the flame. And the other is remaining under, under the difficulty, under the sorrow, under the trouble, remaining in the vice, in the grip, remaining there because it's the right thing to do. Courage endures. Now, brothers and sisters, I wish I could tell you that learning the endurance of courage is going to be a simple thing for you. And you're just going to have, you know, a hangnail or something. And you'll have pain for a while, and you'll have to take care of it. Eventually, you'll get over it. But, but that's, that's not what I'm talking about. This endurance that we're talking about as we fix our eyes on Jesus is the thing you never thought would happen to you. It happens to other people, but not to you. It's the circumstance that, that takes its grip on your life, and you never in a million years imagined you'd be dealing with this. And it doesn't seem fair, and it doesn't seem just, and you wonder why it's you, and it goes on not for a day or a week or a month 
But over and over and over again, you wake up every day and you're dealing with the sorrow that grips your heart. The trouble stays there in your life. You know, Paul had something that bothered him. We don't know what it was. He called it his thorn in the flesh. And he prayed, he said, three times that God would remove this thing. And I could see the apostle praying, oh God, remove this thing. I'll be a better servant. I can focus better. I'll do more for you. If I could just get rid of this thing, this trouble, this circumstance, or situation, whatever it was. And then he said God spoke to his heart. After that third time he prayed and said to him, my grace is sufficient for you my strength is made perfect in weakness and then the apostle said most gladly therefore will I bear this infirmity so that the power of God may rest upon my life you know what startles and amazes me it's the courage of the individual who suffers unjustly and yet remains faithful. We have such stories right here among us. A young lady named Quell that some of us know who just passed the third anniversary of being shot four times and paralyzed and placed in that wheelchair. And she's discovering that courage for her is not just the moment after the shooting or six months or a year, but it's the challenges of year by year, staying sweet of heart and soul knowing that God will provide, remaining faithful to Him. Brothers and sisters, there are things that come into our lives and we just want to throw our hands up and quit. And sometimes we say, how can God be just and let this happen to me? That's when you fix your eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, the perfect Lamb of God who never sinned once. And you watch him as wicked men nail him to the tree. And you say, Lord, in me, let the cross be not just a symbol, but the way that I live, crucified with him daily. So it's not I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. Courage, number four, despises the shame. I told you, I want you to remember this text, okay? It's Hebrews 12, 1 through 4. I want you to remember the text because all these things come right out of the Scripture and you're going to need it probably tomorrow. When you get to work, when the kids come, when the trouble comes, you're going to need it. Courage despises the shame. Scorns the shame. 
Are you afraid to look bad? Does it get all over you when you look bad among your peers? Are you afraid to be the object of humor? Are you afraid to fail? Are you afraid that people will say things about you if you do this or that? Jesus endured the cross despising the shame. Oh, the things they called the man on the middle cross. The things they said to him, wagging their fingers as they looked at him. There by that public roadway where they hung him up to die. And in order to complete the Father's will, courage required that he despise the shame. The text says, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. It was a shameful way to die. Nobody wanted to go there. What would the family say? Oh, yes, Mary's son Jesus. He's the one they crucified outside of Jerusalem, I remember. The Romans hung him up. He was an insurrectionist, you know. He died with the needle in his arm. They put him in the chair. He hung on the instrument of execution. If we're going to walk with courage as Jesus did, we're going to have to stop worrying about what people say. That word shame is connected to the words that people speak as well as the feeling that we have. The thing that God calls you to do, the greatest challenge of your life maybe the thing for which you were put on the planet so that when you look at it you think maybe I have come to the kingdom for such a time as this maybe this is mine it will be for you like it was for Esther it's life or death it's all or nothing the greatest challenge of your life is by definition the thing that costs you everything you gotta lay it all down or you can't get there I don't know how many times I've heard the story of the man who risked it all with people hollering at him, that's the wrong thing to do, it'll never work. But he knew in his heart it was what he was called to do. You're not going to accomplish the greatest challenge God has for you if you're worried about what people will say. We had a man go out into the highways and byways this weekend and he was petrified. He was helping us with the inward ministry. And Christy said he looked petrified in his face. 
you know, going into these clubs, something he'd never done. And he got out there into the, into the hotels, is I think where he was going. And he told the group when he got back, he said, I was terrified until I opened my mouth and started talking. And all of a sudden, the peace of God settled on him, and he had a wonderful experience of sharing God's word and truth and doing this work. That's how we are. We're petrified. We're terrified. Until finally we step out where God's called us to go. And you know what? There's something about putting yourself in motion that is the moment of faith. It's not faith as long as you're standing here. It's faith and courage when you take the step. I don't know what that means to you. There's a young person here in this room for whom that means something. And maybe a grandparent. And you know God's called you to do it and you've been hesitating at the brink. And it's time to put it all down again. Faith wins the day. Remember those earlier days, the writer of Hebrews says, after you had received the light. I want you to hear this, okay? This is from chapter 10 of Hebrews. It comes right before the roll call of faith. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light? You remember those days right after you got saved, right after the light of the gospel dawned in your soul? When you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering, do you remember those days when right after you received the light, you stood your ground, you stood firm in a great contest in the face of suffering? Sometimes, the writer said, you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So, you remember those days when you stood strong in a great contest in the face of suffering? You remember when you stood with people who were right even though it cost you? So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Let's bow our heads together. Courage is something we learn again and again in life. Sometimes we reflect back to our youth and remember how courageous we were for Jesus. And now we look at ourselves and feel like we 
are hiding from the arrows. We remember a time when it was a costly stand we took, but it's been a long time since we publicly identified with Jesus despite the scorn and shame. Maybe you have known what you need to do in following Jesus, but you have yet to take the step. I want to give you an opportunity to take the step, to step out and say, I've trusted Jesus as Savior, and I'm telling his church today. I have trusted Jesus as Savior, and I'm going to be baptized as a believer. I've trusted Jesus as Savior, and I'm identifying with his church. I've trusted him as Savior, and I'm recommitting my life to the things I know to be true and right and asking for the courage that comes with prayer. Lord, today, have your way. For those who stand on the brink, give them courage and faith to take that step. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.